This is JU Israel Teachers Lounge, where we reach out to current Gap Year students, alumni, and any interested listeners, keeping you connected to what's happening in Israel and giving you insight behind the headlines. I am your host, senior JU Israel educator, Michael Unterberg, and today joined, as always, by co-host and director of JU Israel, Alan Goldman. How are you, Alan? Doing good, Mike. Excellent. Today, uh, our topic is inspired by a question I was asked at a Shabbat table recently. Somebody asked me, what is the story with all these refugees, Palestinian refugees? What, why is that a significant issue? How did they become refugees? And in the context of explaining it, one of the things I wanted to get across was that this is why the Palestinians claim they cannot sign a peace deal with Israel, because of the refugee problem. Now, it's funny. Remember a couple of years ago, we looked to see... We were looking on YouTube for people complaining yeah, yeah. about refugees and like... It stopped existing. It's like it's, it goes back for like 10 years at least. Isn't that weird that yeah. that everyone... And, and I understand people complain about the occupation, but the refugees are largely... You'll, you'll see videos about life in refugee camps, but it's not the it's not the keyword buzzword. And that it was, I think, for, well, first of all, let's define what we mean by refugees. I'm sure. not sure everybody understands the difference between the Arab populations in... Um, in the Middle East, even well, let alone that's in our little pro- region. Yeah. Well, well, a refugee is somebody who flees their homeland for because they don't feel secure. Right. Well, the, yeah, they're under threat for something even political or war or all kinds of things. Uh, possibly natural disaster. Also, they've yeah. left their their home. Technically, if you're still in your country and you've left your city, that's called an internally displaced person. Yeah. But for Let's just be simple. If you ran away from home because you felt a, there was a threat to you, a reasonable fear of threat to you or your family, so you're a refugee. You ran away. Okay. Now, how does that intersect with the Palestinian well, uh, issue? In 1948, when the partition plan that the UN suggested failed, the Arabs rejected it, the Jews accepted it, a war started right away. Arabs attacking Jews. And already in, really, we're talking December of 47. Yeah. November 29th was the vote, and already in December, the Arabs are blowing up Jewish institutions in Palestine. It starts the Palestinian Civil War. That leads to, on May 14th, the Jews declare their state of Israel. On May 15th, Israel's invaded by six Mm -hmm. Arab armies, Mm -hmm. basically. And... Starting during that civil war and then continuing through that international war between Israel and its neighbors, about half the population, Arab population, of what would become Israel flees. Yeah, Alan, can you tell us who these Palestinian refugees are? Okay, so first of all, let's talk numbers. There were around 900,000 Palestinian uh, in the area that becomes known as Israel in uh, just under a million Arabs who lived. How many Jews? There were about six hundred thousand at the declaration of nineteen forty-eight. At the moment of independence, yeah. So the well, even actually, that's probably a little bit off because we'll see as we define refugees later. But let's just say that for simplistic, right? You know, to make it easier. So about somewhere around seven hundred fifty thousand, give or take, um, uh, flee. Um, and there's different reasons for that that we see. Some, some are, are expelled. Flee, some, some are expelled. Mm-hmm. Some are flee because of war and they're mm-hmm. afraid and um, economic pressure, all kinds of stuff. Political pressure. Political, political pressure. And about a 
up to a third are expelled by Israeli soldiers. Yeah. And somewhere around 150,000, again, give or take, stay and become, eventually become the citizens of the state of Israel. That's the core of what will become the Arab citizens of the state of yeah. Israel. That's the core. So the Arabs who remain in what will become Israel become eventually Israeli citizens. Yeah. And the Arabs who leave become stateless. Yeah, become stateless. Even though the UN said they should have an Arab state in Palestine, they become stateless and they end up living. Right. Again, they become stateless because they rejected an independent Arab state. Mm -hmm. And the area that was supposed to go to a Arab state at the end of the independence war, which was January 1949 is divided up between three countries, Israel, Egypt, and Jordan, mm-hmm. right? West Bank goes to Jordan, Gaza Strip goes to Egypt, and the rest goes to Israel. So no Palestinian state. So no Palestinian state in any of the territory. None of these three states, us, is why Egypt. Don't, why don't Jordan and Jordan. Egypt create an independent Palestinian state in the West Bank and Gaza? Because they reject the notion of Israel, and they maintain the track that Palestinians have to return to their homes to establish the proper Arab state in what, what so is they don't the want to give Israel? them a home in the West Bank and Gaza because that means that those refugees can resettle there and then they wouldn't have a right to demand right. Israel back. Right. We do we do have to do do have to note that Jordan does eventually give them citizenship yeah. in Jordan. Jordan does. This is the only country. Uh, equal citizenship? I believe so. Yeah. yeah. Lebanon? Uh, no. Syria? No. Egypt? No. So, uh, and then, you know, not all these Palestinian Arabs end up living... Uh, in those refugee camps and their families forever. But let's get to what happens over time. Right. The United Nations, although you, it's after World War II, the world is in, it's like 40 million refugees or something right. like that. It's the world's biggest refugee crisis. The United Nations has UNHCR, right. uh, which deals with refugees, but these Palestinians get their own UN organization, right. UNRWA, right. United Nations Relief Work Agency for Correct. Palestinians. There's no P in it, I don't know why. <laughs> uh, why do they get their own organization? Well, it's political. And in the 50s, the the UN, with that, passes a resolution which says this to resolve the refugee crisis of the Palestinians is they should all be repatriated back to their original homes. It's General Assembly 141? Yeah, yeah, I believe so. Um, and so that that sets the stage for the definition with for really distinct... Uh, a distinct status of Palestinian refugees, which is they get their own refugee agency that deals with them, and they get uh, their own definition of what a refugee is. It's different than other refugees. We haven't dealt with that yet. We'll dealt mm-hmm. with that in a second. And, of course, the, that ha- feeds into the resolution, that the resolution is repatriation in your resolution, home you meaning, fled from. It mean, a resolution meaning how to help them. Yeah, how There's to help so, them. This, the, the, well, it's both a resolution. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. Right. It, it, the resolution sides. claims that the solution for them must be repatriation to their cities, towns, and, and homes. Right. Yeah. So let, let's. what's the definition of a Palestinian refugee that's different than... Well, uh, a refugee is somebody who fled their right. home because of fear. Right. And, uh, and, and the UN and relief organizations that are... You know, there are all sorts of relief organizations that work to find them homes, find them jobs, find them schools for their kids. Right. And relocate in most situations. Relocate and start a new life right. somewhere. And that's that's considered the normal way to deal with a refugee. Right. And that's why children and grandchildren of refugees are not right. refugees. The people who flee right. are refugees, but their and, descendants. And that relocation could happen either in their country of origin or... Wherever, or wherever, wherever you can, because right. why should they, you don't want right. them living in right. perpetuity in refugee camps. That's why right. after World War II, there was a very big problem with Jewish refugees. It was very hard to repatriate them. So the uh, idea was to find other places for them right. to live. That would work much better. Right. So, I mean, this was a, 
this is a the refugee problem is a very big problem. We are currently living in the biggest refugee crisis since World War II. Again, tens of millions of refugees, and this flow of refugees. The fear is it will destabilize. They, they need so many of them need places to go that aren't in their original homes, that it will destabilize the countries that they're going to. Right. So de- de- dealing with refugees really causes many, many problems. It's a real honest difficulty. Yeah. But the Palestinians And, and are, the human aspect shouldn't be ignored either. I mean, it's it's terrible tragedy. Yeah. 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 And you can't just let people live forever right. in refugee camps. It's it's And so you have to repatriate them. But then when the numbers get too big, it becomes difficult to absorb. So right. it's really... I mean, we're really in a crisis today. Yeah. Um, but the Palestinians are told, you will not live anywhere else. Therefore... You are a refugee, your children are refugees, your children's children in perpetuity, descendants of your male lineage, will be refugees until you can move back and live in your homes, which are in Israel, and become citizens of the state of Israel. And even the definition was not a definition of of feeling uh, or living under threat of... Right? That's not a requirement for not a requirement. It was You left your home. First of all, you only had to live there between 46 and 48. Your right. family doesn't have to go back a long time. Right. You could have moved there from... And many did. Many right. moved from other... Because the economy was booming under the British mandate right. and the Jewish pioneering. So there was a large... I mean, a really large population of Arabs from other countries for economic reasons. But they are all now considered Palestinian and their children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren are Palestinian. Right. So a, a problem that started with 700, 750,000 people, the UN, UNRWA now claims is well over 5 million people right? because it's children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren. Well, Simon claims it gives them refugee status. Correct. <laughs> what, even if they move into another country, rebuild lives, get jobs, right. become citizens in Europe or the States or Canada or whatever, right. the UN still considers them refugees, with the right to return, which is this idea that Palestinians have the right to live. If your family, if your grandparents fled from Akko, you have the right to their home in Akko. If the home doesn't exist, I guess the idea is somewhere in Akko near right. where their home was. Right. Now, no other refugee on earth. Right. That is not considered, and although I've heard Abbas and other Arab spokespeople say that that is the most basic human right, the right to return, it is not right. a recognized human right for any refugee. You can have the right to sometimes for compensation, but right. you don't have the right to take back your home from who's living there now. That's right. bonkers. Why is it bonkers? Uh, because re-destabilizing a region which has finally found peace. In other words, if let's say all, uh, just to pick an example that we feel passionate about, if all of our families could go back to Poland and claim lands that we lived in in Poland, that would totally disrupt Polish life and economy and politics. It's 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 a destabilizing that would be a real problem for Poland. Now when when survivors well, that's, that's why it's actually uh, a political hot issue in Poland right now. Because they're talking about fi- only financial compensation. Financial compensation is, even, is uh, a political issue in even, Poland. Even and partly destabilizing. Right. And that that is talking about, you know, what it will what it will disrupt to the economy. But that's not talking about going back to houses correct. and uh, it, it's obviously crazy if you want you don't want this problem. One of the things about solving a refugee crisis is you don't want any government to be destabilized. In other right. words, it's in the interest of everybody in the world to have stable places to live that people can choose to live. If yeah, Syria was a normal, stable place to live, we could say people can go back. So, so you don't want to destabilize Syria to solve the Syrian refugee problem. Let me play a little bit of devil's advocate. Then. Play away, Alan. So, but I mean, uh, aren't you... It, it, 
ignoring, first of all, the human aspect that here you have all these people who have no homes, who their homes were stolen from them. Right? Why should they go back to that? Like, just because that's terrible. Just thing. because it's going to become something we become destabilized now from some political cause. I mean, no, well, no. Of course, being a refugee is a terrible thing. Being unsettled is a terrible thing. We want a resolution to make the, that refugee's life better. Of course, that's why Israel absorbed not only over six hundred thousand survivors of the Holocaust, but over 800,000 Jews from all over the Middle East and North Africa. That's what happens when there's a war. In other words, the Palestinian Arabs chose war against the Palestinian Jews. The Arab nations then intervened when Israel declared itself a state. Well, guess what happens when there's a war? You're going to have a lot of refugees. And after that, their lives are going to be destabilized. And the idea is to stabilize those lives as best you can. Those over 800,000 Jews from the North, North, you know, Middle East and North Africa are now the majority of Israelis, and they've right. built lives to to plunge this region back into the chaos. You know, 1947, there were two partition plans. We Jews are very focused, obviously, on the you know Jewish-Arab partition plan right. of what was then called the British Mandate of Palestine. Well, there was also a British area of control called uh, called India. And the United Nations decided it needed to be partitioned into a Hindu zone and a Muslim zone, even though Hindus, I mean, India's got plenty of religions, right. but those became, Pakistan became a Muslim independent country. That led to, also in 1947, an enormous population transfer. Right. Chaos, up to, I mean, the numbers are crazy, the stories are horrible, like a million dead over the course of that. Right. But, and it certainly didn't end conflict between Indian government and Pakistani government. There was certainly mm-hmm. conflict over the years, but basically both countries have managed to have stable uh, civilian lives with stable civilian economies. Uh, that's the model. Is there a human aspect to it? Yes. Should those humans be, should we find durable solutions for those humans? Yes. Should we be using those humans as a political chip to, to, to extort Israel into committing suicide? Because that's what the right of return is. When, when Palestinians talk about the right of return, the idea that they won't sign a two-state solution deal unless Israel gives... Because that's what it means. It means if right. you're in a refugee camp, you cannot be a citizen of the state of Palestine. You could be right. in, a, in a refugee camp in the West Bank, and you are not allowed, according to the Palestinian Authority, you will not be allowed citizenship in, in the Palestinian state. You, you'll have... Four million Palestinians who live in the Palestinian state, and you will have seven million Palestinians in Israel, a country with about seven million who Jews. have rights to be in Israel. Who have rights? I don't know how many. Right. I so can't so predict. Let's, so let's just flush this out so everybody understands this. In other words, when we talk, when Palestinians talk about two state solution, they're talking about a state. Let's say the biggest maximum West Bank and Gaza Strip, according to sixty seven borders. That's for all the Palestinians who were living in those areas mm-hmm. before nineteen forty eight. Before nineteen forty eight, not who are living there now. All the ones who are living in the areas in nineteen forty eight that are the state of Israel, they will be repatriated to the state of Israel. Right, and that is millions, millions, also, yeah. potentially so, millions. So basically, we're talking about a state of Palestine in the West Bank and Gaza, and a binational state in what we call Israel, which means not Israel. In other right. words, not a Jewish state in Israel. Right. Uh, I mean, that's obviously, uh, there is nobody, there is no outside viewer in the West, you know, in Europe or yeah. the States who says that's going to happen. Those, so, those so, refu- the descendants of those refugees have the right to 
damages, you know, the same way Jews can claim damages from so Poland. Think, right. So do you think there's been a pur- purposeful, like we started out this, you know, podcast was saying, well, we noticed that people really aren't talking so much about this anymore. I mean, they talk about repatriation of refugees and that, but they are, they're latching, like the catchphrase is occupation, occupation, occupation. Yeah, because... Do you think that's been purposeful because yeah, sure. this refugee... Cause, yeah, cause because we they, all know Oslo, like most, I mean, when Oslo really hit a, you know, a landmine, right. it, it was, it wasn't over the territory. Everybody knows what the basic, uh, you know, borders would be. Yeah. It was really over this issue of refugees and you could say Jerusalem, but, but certainly the refugees is. Yeah. Well, the, but I mean, is, uh, Arafat then and Abbas now say the yeah. three, the three deal break, because it's so funny. And when you talk to people and they go, well, Israel should give them a state. Like, Israel's offered them a state. Well, that can't be. Why wouldn't they take it? Well, they didn't. That's just history. Like, you can say it can't be, but it was history. And why did they say afterwards they didn't take it? Why did Arafat say? Why why does Abbas say now? He said it was three issues. It was Israeli security, certainly along the Jordan. So that, you know, Israel says we need need to protect our border. We can't rely on Palestinians for our security. Palestinians say you have to. Uh, Palestinians want control of Jerusalem. Does that mean East Jerusalem? Does that mean? And then the third issue is the right of return. We won't sign any deal without the right of return. Well, there is nobody. Barack Obama stood in Cairo and told the Arab world, Palestinians have to get the right of return out of their head because it's never going to happen to any meaningful degree. It's just not destroy. It would destroy Israel. And that's not a peace deal. If I make peace with you, as long as you commit suicide, that's not a peace deal. (laughs) That's I, I am happy to give in as long as you surrender. Right. That doesn't mean anything. And so that's the political issue it is. Why isn't it a hot issue today? Well, first of all, so many pal- there's only about a million and a half Palestinians living in actual camps. Most of them have left camps and are, and are finding their own ways to build. Right. I'm not saying most are super – they're not all DJ Khaled, but, although he is one. Uh, they're not all super successful millionaires. But right. – Life life finds a way. You can't keep raising children and grandchildren right. in these places. Um, and quite frankly, part of what the anti-Israel rhetoric likes to do is it likes to distort the the. It likes to sort of mush all Arabs into one basket. You know, right. Arabs under Israelis are oppressed. Right. So once you start, by the way, I think pro-Israel people like to do that also in the right. other way. They like to say, what do you mean? Arabs in Israel are full citizens. There's Arabs in the Knesset. Right. There's Arabs in the Supreme Court. There's Arabs on television. There's Arabs on- Which is all true, but- well, Of course it's true. But- But not West Bank Arabs. That's 1.8 million- Right. Arabs who are Israeli citizens, but not- As opposed to the two and a half million in the West, West Bank, Bank and the two million in Gaza Strip. Right. Like, there really are problems, and you can only talk intelligently about them if you stop distorting and sort of mushing right. everything into a cholent, and you start making distinctions and clarifying what so these individual right. situations are. So the anti the propagandists on both sides like to distort as much as possible. Um, that's unhelpful. But here, the refugee thing, clarifying who those refugees are, acknowledging that that refugee status doesn't make sense compared to any other refugees of the world, demanding them the right of return, meaning their lives will be better when they can destroy Israel, right. is not a meaningful solution. There is a branch organization of the United Nations, UNRWA, who tells millions of Palestinians, we will take care of you, we will legislate Israel out of existence. Israel is a legal member state of the United Nations, and UNRWA is saying, don't worry, you have the right to return to your home. 
Um, I just want to mention about UNRWA. If you remember, we did a, a session, an a yeah, episode let's catch last, up on the last summer. Yeah. That uh, and last summer we did an episode when, from the Palestinian perspective, one of the antagonistic moves of the Trump administration was to defund UNRWA to stop giving the uh, American dollars to UNRWA, which they did. They did. Um, it was about a third. About a third and, of UNRWA's budget was paid for by the United yeah, States, and, and the United about, States is as long as you keep yeah. educating young Palestinians that they will live in their homes in Israel and that will help Israel cease to exist. We, we, you're not working for peace. You're not working for the betterment of Palestinians and we will stop funding you. So how's that worked out almost a year later? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, look, other countries I mean, have met some of it. They right. haven't met their full budget. Remember, they have about 30,000 employees and they did. I know they had to lay off. Uh, yeah. Uh, and it's, it's still, nobody's really working on real durable solutions. Right. The question, and I mean, certainly, it certainly has played into the perceived, not even perceived, the, the, the difficulties that are happening in the Palestinian economy, because uh, it's this bubble bureaucracy economy that was created in the Palestinian territories and in Gaza, in the Gaza Strip. Um, and part of that, I want to say the whole thing, but, but certainly part of that was UNRWA. That Palestinians living off yeah. um, like really bureaucratic funds as opposed to infrastructure and really building and off economy. charity essentially yeah. international charity yeah you know through these bureaucracies yeah now the argument of the Trump administration is well if we put enough pressure then that'll lead to a paradigm change in their politics and their culture right. and they'll work to more durable solutions that has not changed right. at all if that's the goal that goal is a failure right well because there's also no been no really other options now there, again as we've, we've talked and we have to see if there will be but up to now but i think i mean they've created such an antagonistic atmosphere it's hard to imagine that that the palestinians would um grab onto anything that's offered but we'll see we'll have to see we'll have to see i i don't you know uh, that we're not profit so i don't know no. where any of this is going to lead right. but i i do know that although it is rhetorically not emphasized anymore. I think partially because it is so remarkably absurd. It's so easily... In other words, the West Bank is complex enough that yeah. I can call Israel apartheid, and now I have to explain it in a complicated way. Whereas the refugee situation, it's not that hard to explain why it's absurd. You're telling these 5 million people who are great-grandchildren of the people who ran away that they can't be citizens in other countries in the Arab world if they want to. You're telling them that their life will get better when they have the right to move to the home that their great-grandparent came from, which is not a right that's given to refugees. Don't accept reparation money from Israel and then resettle. Don't do that. Right. You must wait here until Israel's gone, and then you'll have a future. That's just so absurd and horrible and counterintuitive that I think it's being... Lost today. You also had, listen, you know, when, when King Hussein of Jordan offered citizenship to these refugees, he said, they are being treated as puppets and political tools by the Arab world, and That's I right. can't do that anymore. So it, it's so it's so clearly absurd. It's so clearly right. destructive to a decent future for millions of Arabs who live in this part of the world. It's so obviously indefensible. I think that might be why it's no longer the rhetorical cudgel it used to be, although it's still the political tool being used to undermine the possibility for peace. I, I think it is the tool that that the Palestinians use as rhetoric, the right of return, and BDS. Yep. So that primer and the refugees, yeah. I hope, is helpful for those who are confused. You hear the term, you want to know who they are. They're the people who fled in 48, their children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren, being used as political pawns in a game that is going to be lost by their side, yeah. uh, although they think they'll win. So 
We'll see. I guess we'll see. I, you know, we're betting that Israel will not be destroyed over this issue. They are hoping that it will be. And I think that's a terrible way to raise children as tools to destroy another people and their national sovereignty. I think zero sum games are always. Uh, yeah, it's the uh, wrong. It's the uh, wrong way. Zero uh, sum th- thinking is the wrong way to yeah. think about it. So it's a tragic scenario. It makes you angry. It makes you sad. Never forget, as Alan pointed out, the human element. That when you look at pictures of kids, you know, being raised in refugee camps, wearing you know hand me down clothing in dirty streets, because if it's a refugee camp, nobody's doing major upkeep. Uh, being fed lies by teachers about. Uh, you know, my heart goes out. It's just tragic and awful, and I feel terrible for them. They're being raised this way, and it's, it's that's that that's a real humanitarian tragedy, right? Yeah. So on that note, <laughs> on that note, I believe somehow there's something's going to change, whether this administration or another administration. I don't know that America is going to be the turning point. My guess is there'll be something internal, something will give. What it'll be, I don't know. We're waiting to see what it'll be. But thank you, Alan. Thank you, Mike. And thank you, Ben, for engineering us to the end of a complicated episode. (laughs) And this is the end. Bye-bye. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. Uh, This is the part where I remind you that we are the JU Israel Teacher's Lounge podcast. And it's also the part where I ask you to subscribe, to rate and review us, and to share and recommend us in any way you can. Also, we'd love your feedback so we can respond to you on or off the podcast. Thanks so much for listening, guys.